welcome to the Dream Season Podcast, an oral history of the 1989-90 UConn men's basketball season, also known as the Dream Season. This is episode one, The Sleeping Giant. Before we dive into the Dream Season, we need to spend some time trying to understand the state of the men's basketball program at UConn prior to the 1989-90 season. UConn men's basketball began in 1900, when UConn was known as the Connecticut Agricultural College. They were 1-0 that season, after knocking off Wyndham High School, 17-12. For the next 30-plus years, they played a modest schedule each season, around 15-20 to games, against regional schools of varying sizes. They played in the New England Conference from 1937-38 through 1945-46. UConn was a regional power in New England, with backyard rivalries with URI, New Hampshire, Maine, and UMass. But before we go any further, I want to take a minute to detail the national postseason tournaments at this time. The National Invitation Tournament, or the NIT, began in 1938, with the NCAA tournament starting in 1939. The number of teams participating gradually increased for each tournament over the years, from 6 to 8 at the start, to 12, 16, 24, and eventually 32 for both tournaments by the late 1970s. In the 1940s, the NIT was the premier tournament of the two, and generally featured the better teams. This was mainly due to all the games being held at Madison Square Garden and the press coverage that those games received. In some years, teams were able to play in both tournaments thanks to the schedules not being run concurrently. Eventually, the NCAA tournament started including more teams in the field, as well as prohibiting any schools from participating in any postseason tournament if they turned down an invitation to the NCAA tournament. All right, back to the history of the program. In 1944, UConn traveled to Madison Square Garden to take on traditional power NYU in a regular season matchup. Despite losing 46-45, the results of the game proved that UConn belonged in the upper echelon of Eastern basketball programs. In 1946-47, UConn became a member of the 16 Yankee Conference, featuring all six New England State Universities. Two major shifts occurred during that 1946-47 season. First, standout Walt Dropo returned from three years of military service in World War II, and Hugh Greer took over as head coach. Dropo would finish his UConn career as the all-time leading scorer and is still number two in career scoring average with 20.7 points per game as of 2022. Greer, who coached from 1946 to 1963, is second only to Jim Calhoun in total wins and winning percentage. During his 17 seasons as head coach, UConn won the Yankee Conference 13 times, including 10 straight from the 1950-51 season through the 1959-60 season. The 1953-54 team was arguably the best team of the era. They received the program's first national ranking, ranked for two weeks by the Associated Press, peaking at number 18, and played in one of the most iconic games in school history. On Saturday, February 27, 1954, 20-2 UConn traveled to Worcester, Mass., to take on 22-1 Holy Cross. Holy Cross and Bob Cousy had won the NCAA championship in 1947 and were the program in New England. The Crusaders entered the game riding a 47-game home winning streak at the Cozy Worcester Auditorium and were a decided favorite in the game. UConn and Holy Cross had already played in each of the previous two seasons, with Holy Cross winning both matchups. The game was a classic from the start and stayed that way until the final moments. After a steal and bucket by Holy Cross's Ron Perry Sr. with 14 seconds left, the Huskies trailed 77-76. After a UConn timeout, UConn's Worthy Patterson, whose pass was stolen just seconds prior, drove to the hoop and scored. Time expired before Holy Cross could inbound the ball, and UConn came away with a 78-77 road win. The victory solidified UConn's place as a New England college hoops power. 
That 1953-54 team made the NCAA tournament, but lost to Navy in the opening round, finishing with a record of 26-2. The Huskies that year were led by Patterson and big man Art Quimby, who is still UConn's all-time leading rebounder, both in total rebounds and rebounds per game. On December 1, 1954, UConn moved into their new home, the glistening 5,000-seat Fieldhouse. At the time, it was one of the largest and finest on-campus basketball facilities in New England. Quimby ended his career after the 1954-55 season as the first UConn player to score 1,000 points and amass 1,000 rebounds, something that only five other players have accomplished through the 2021-2022 season. After Hugh Greer's unfortunate passing during the 1963 season, Fred Schabel took over as head coach. The 1963-64 season produced another all-time classic moment for the Huskies when they squared off in the NCAA Sweet 16 against Princeton and Bill Bradley, one of the best college basketball players of all time. UConn was led by power forward Toby Kimball, who would eventually be the second Husky to have 1,000 points and 1,000 rebounds during his career, but it would be another player that would cement his name in the memories of UConn fans that day. Senior guard and co-captain Dom Perno sank two clutch free throws with 27 seconds left to put UConn ahead 52-50. Coach Shabel and the Huskies knew that Princeton would do everything they could to get the ball to the All-American Bill Bradley. And here's what happened next. UConn leading 52-50. UConn in a zone defense. You know who'll take that last shot for Princeton as Julie has the ball in play. 25 seconds in the corner hollow. Outside Julie to Bradley. Double team. Holds the ball. Stolen by Perno. Dom Perno steals with 18 seconds from Bradley. UConn advanced to the Elite Eight with the win, setting up a showdown with heavily favored Duke. In a game played in Raleigh, North Carolina, Duke won easily 101-54. The nineteen sixty teams were led by two all-time greats, the aforementioned Kimball, and the Poughkeepsie Popper, West Balasutnia. Behind those two UConn legends, the 1964-65 squad finished 23-2 and undefeated in the Yankee Conference, before falling to St. Joseph's in the NCAA tournament. Quick note on Balasutnia. He is the fastest UConn player to ever reach 1,000 points, doing it in just his 47th game, six games better than the next closest player, Bob Boyd. Fred Schabel left after the 1966-67 season to become the athletic director at Penn. In his four years as head coach, Schabel's teams won the Yankee Conference all four years and made the NCAA tournament three times. Burr Carlson coached the next two seasons before Donald D. Rowe took the reins for the 1969-70 season. It didn't take long for Coach Rowe to experience the next seminal moment in UConn basketball history. Heading into the final game of Rowe's first season, a matchup with URI at the Fieldhouse, UConn had a chance to earn a share of the Yankee Conference Championship with a win. However, two days prior to the game, leading scorer Bob Boyd, along with two key substitutes, were suspended for the game pending an investigation into a campus break-in in the prior year. All three were eventually cleared, but not until long after the URI game. In addition to the three suspended players, UConn's starting center Tony Budzinski was sick with a high fever and also unable to play. Coach Rowe decided to implement a stall tactic. Because there was no shot clock at the time, this was usually a late-game strategy to milk the clock to hold on to a lead. Coach Rowe wanted to do it for the entire game. The strategy worked great, and UConn won the game 35-32. Said Rowe, quote, It was the greatest day of my career. You talk about a team playing a game where they did exactly what the game plan was. It was a chess match. End quote. Here's longtime radio color analyst Wayne Norman on those 1960s UConn teams. Those years, those Toby Kimball, West Balasutnia years for Fred Schabel, basically 63, maybe 64 to 67. Oh, they were good. 
but they were a regional team. They weren't a national team like the Jim Calhoun and on to the current, you know, Dan Hurley in configuration is. And also there was some passion in the D row years. His first year when they came off a five and 19 season before D was hired and D ended up coaching that team to a co-championship of the Yankee conference, which of course that season culminated with that incredible slowdown game at the field house where they beat Rhode Island 35-32. There was one last bit of glory for Coach Rowe. Led by Tony Hansen, who would leave UConn as their all-time leading scorer, the 1975-76 team won their last three regular season games to advance to the Eastern College Athletic Conference Tournament, or ECAC. The ECAC was how teams qualified for the NCAA tournament after the Yankee Conference had lost their automatic status. UConn proceeded to defeat UMass and then Providence to win the ECAC tournament and advance to the NCAA tournament, where they would face Hofstra. UConn knocked off the Flying Dutchman 80-78 in overtime before losing to Rutgers in the Sweet 16. The 1975-76 season also marked the first season that UConn had a home away from home, playing games at the brand new Hartford Civic Center. UConn began play as an independent in the 1976-77 season, which was also D. Rowe's final year as head coach. He resigned due to health reasons and to spend more time with his family, moving into a newly created role as Associate Director of Athletics for Development. He was an official fundraiser for the next 13 years, but continued to represent the school as athletics and institutional ambassador until his passing in 2021 at the age of 91. He'd be hard-pressed to find a more respected and influential person in the history of UConn athletics than D. Rowe. A sad day for Connecticut sports. Former UConn men's basketball coach and ambassador for the university, D. Rowe, passed away at his home in stores on Sunday. Rowe spent more than 50 years touting the University of Connecticut. His career filled with accolades, including a Lifetime Achievement Award from the National Basketball Hall of Fame in 2017. Rowe officially retired in 1991, but stayed active in the community he loved so much. Rowe had 300 wins over his 21-year head coaching career, including his time as a head Husky. Off the court, he was just as successful, playing a pivotal role in bringing Jim Calhoun and Gino Ariema to store. Remember Don Perno, who stole the ball from Bill Bradley back in 1964? He served as one of Coach Rowe's assistants and took over as head coach for the 1977-78 season. The Huskies would struggle during Perno's first year, but then reeled off three consecutive 20-win seasons, including a berth in the NCAA tournament in the 1978-79 season. Here's longtime Connecticut news anchor Jerry Brooks, who was UConn's radio color analyst for three years in the 70s on the 1960s and 70s Huskies. UConn was always all about Connecticut. And it was a pretty good regional brand, too, if you if you looked at New England basketball as a whole. But it shared some billing with uh, Holy Cross, you know, remember? Holy Cross used to be the school everybody talked about for, for New England basketball. And, and you know, with all due respect to, to D, 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 D. Rowe, gave his life to UConn. Uh, what, a, what a great man, and I'm glad we have an opportunity to pay him homage right now. Uh, Dom Perno replaced, you know, a legend or a legend in the making in D, completely different personality, but they both, they both let the job eat them up a little bit. They both needed to take a break after a while. Um, and 
it was they were they kept reaching for the brass ring. Had some good players. Uh, you know, I got to call games with Corny Thompson and Mike McKay. Uh, yeah, bro, Jimmy Abramitis. Those were some. Those were some pretty good teams. Some pretty good players. And after that 1978-79 season, everything would change for the UConn basketball program. The NCAA passed a rule stating that in order for a conference to receive an automatic bid to the NCAA tournament, it must play round-robin games with other conference members during the season. This rule would go into effect for the 1980-81 season. This created a scheduling nightmare for many of the successful programs on the East Coast. No longer would schools be able to schedule games against teams similar in stature and strength. Schools would be forced to play schools that are closer geographically. Enter former Providence College head coach and current athletic director Dave Gavitt. Gavitt had long envisioned an East Coast Super Conference that would rival the ACC, which was the premier East Coast Conference at that time. Gavitt knew that he wanted successful schools to be a part of the conference, but he also wanted them to be located in larger cities that featured a strong media presence. Gavitt's vision was exemplary, and he knew that television would be a key ingredient to the success of this new league. In addition to Providence, the first schools to join Gavitt's new conference were St. John's, Georgetown, Syracuse, and Boston College. Gavitt initially had wanted Holy Cross, but they turned down the invitation. Here's UConn's longtime director of athletic communications, Tim Tolikin, who in the late spring of 1979 was still covering UConn athletics as sports editor of the Norwich Bulletin. I covered the 79 uh, College Baseball World Series in Omaha, Memorial Day weekend of 79, which was the weekend John Toner had 24 to 48 hours basically to make a decision Do I stay with UMass, New Hampshire, and Maine, and Rhodey in New England, or do I go to something that Dave Gavitt has cooked up with mostly small parochial schools, and we're a land-grant university, and I, John, always felt very strong relationships with Maurice Sargent, the AD at Rhodey, et cetera. But John DiBiagio, the president at the time, said to him, uh, you and Harry Hartley, the, uh, my fiscal vice president, are best friends. You play racquetball all the time. So go over to the old faculty alumni center, sit down and give me a recommendation. Dave Gavitt's starting something with Georgetown and Syracuse and St. John's and maybe a few other schools. And we've been asked if we if we have interest. I don't know if we should. You tell me. So John and Harry went over and Harry, as a academic, uh, but a good friend of John and a racquetball partner would keep saying, and Harry did this till the day he left the campus three, four years ago. He used to come to my office, even in recent years, and he would always say to me, we had nothing in common institutionally with all these small parochial schools, whether it was enrollment, whether it was medical school, whether it was a school of social work, whether it was a law school. So he didn't believe he believed we belonged with schools like Rutgers, West Virginia, other great state universities didn't have to stay in New England, but he thought we belonged. So John, though, uh, convinced Harry over table napkins, having a drink at the faculty alumni center. John convinced Harry that the vision of Dave Gavitt, and that's really what it was all about. You had to have a belief because Dave Gavitt, as it turned out, He would have been successful doing anything in his life. He he was a visionary. He was ahead of his time. 
He knew about television markets before there were television markets. He knew if he could uh, combine the Boston market with the New York market, with the Philly market, with the Washington market, and throw in maybe this sleeping giant that he referred to called Connecticut, which owned an entire state that didn't have pro teams, uh, maybe something special could happen. Seton Hall was the seventh and final charter member to join what would become known as the Big East Conference. Villanova would join the following year, with Pittsburgh coming aboard during the 1982-83 season to make it a nine-team conference. UConn's first three years in the Big East weren't terrible. In 1980-81, they went 3-3 three and three in the regular season and won their first Big East tournament game against Boston College. Turns out that would be the only Big East tournament win for the Huskies until 1988. They even cracked the Associated Press Top 20 poll, peaking at number 20 for two consecutive weeks. In 1980-81, they finished 8-6 and six in conference play and followed that up with a 7-7 seven and seven record in 1981-82. They would also earn a spot in the NIT all three seasons, going 1-3 in those games. However, that 1981-82 season provided a harbinger of things to come. A win at Boston College in early February put the Huskies in first place in the Big East with a 6-2 conference record. They then proceeded to lose five of their last six regular season games, earning the sixth seed in the Big East tournament. The Huskies were matched up with the number three seed, St. John's. The Big East tournament was held this season at the Hartford Civic Center, the last time the tournament would be held somewhere other than Madison Square Garden. St. John's star freshman Chris Mullen hit a dagger shot as time expired to defeat UConn 54-52. The Big East was on its way to becoming a force to be reckoned with in college basketball, not just regionally, but nationally. Georgetown, behind Patrick Ewing, would make the Final Four three of the next four seasons, winning the national championship in 1984. The 1985 season saw the Big East send three teams to the Final Four, with Villanova pulling off an upset for the ages, defeating heavily favored Georgetown in the championship game. In addition to the Big East becoming a powerhouse, UConn was also struggling with some self-induced issues. Quite frankly, when UConn joined the Big East, they weren't ready to make the jump. Said Don Perno, quote, To be able to compete successfully in the Big East, the university needed to make a complete commitment to include academic support, facilities, recruiting budget, staff budget, and basically subscribe to the philosophy of the other teams in the conference, end quote. Here's UConn's former Senior Associate Director of Athletics Communication, Mike Enright. The opportunity came across to, to join the Big East in the late 70s, but uh, the, the university wasn't ready and wasn't prepared. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a credit to John Toner uh, and the administration here that they, they sometimes you have to accept an invitation even if you're not quite ready for it. And, and it, 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 it took some time. And, um, uh, you know, obviously the, the uh, Don Perno was already coaching, and uh, I think Don Perno is a forgotten person in UConn basketball history. Quite frankly, uh, I, I think I think he has a very unique role. I think um, you know he was a very successful student athlete at UConn. I stole the ball from Bill Bradley, uh, and I think people don't even know that story. He was D's assistant coach, uh, led UConn to the Sweet Sixteen. And led UConn as the head coach to the NCAA tournament in 79. And then uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, it, it just it just kind of faded away. But, you know, great recruiting class with Corny Thompson, Mike McCain, Chuck Alex Sennis. And so, um, you know, Don Pernal was, was, was a good soldier for UConn. And it, it, it ended, and, and um, I think he deserves uh, a, a lot of credit for being, for being a UConn legend. 
Despite the limitations that the program faced, Coach Perno still managed to recruit decent players. Legendary players such as Corny Thompson, Mike McKay, Carl Hobbs, Cliff Robinson, and New Haven's Earl Kelly, who was a top high school scorer in the country his senior year, all chose to come to UConn. Unfortunately, too many top players from Connecticut chose to play at other Big East schools. Charles Smith went to Pittsburgh, Michael Adams and John Bagley chose Boston College, and Harold Jensen and Harold Presley both won a national championship at Villanova. UConn still managed a few brief moments of success during the early 80s. They usually played very well against Syracuse, beating them five times between 1981 and 1985, and they knocked off Georgetown and Patrick Ewing on the road in 1982. However, they would proceed to lose the next 13 matchups against the Hoyas. After four straight losing seasons, combined with some off-court issues, mainly star Earl Kelly becoming academically ineligible in mid-February, the bell finally tolled for Don Perno after the 1985-86 season. Here's Tim Tollican again, who by now was UConn Sports Information Director. I'm actually in Dallas, and Jackie McMullen from the Boston Globe comes up to me and says, Tim, uh, is your job open? I said, no, it's not to the best of my knowledge, it's not open. She goes, oh, she goes, well, Jim Calhoun, who's a good friend, and obviously I'm sure you know of him. I said, yeah, he kicked our butt this past year at the Connecticut Mutual Classic uh, with Northeastern. Uh, she goes, well, he just turned down Northwestern, uh, the Northwestern job, because Bobby Knight told him he can't win there. Uh, do you think uh, the Connecticut job is opening? And I said, no, I don't. Uh, I don't. I mean, it's it's April almost. And uh, I haven't heard anything. The next day, John Toner called me and said, Tim, as soon as you're done with your duties in Dallas, can you get back here? We're going to be making a change. And uh, so I uh, hastily got on an early flight the day after the Monday and got back. And John was in the process of working out details with Dom. UConn forward Jerry Besselink, who had just finished his junior year, recalled how he had heard his coach was leaving. Coach Pernell called me into his office after the jun- my junior season. I remember I was getting ready for the uh, Canadian national team. I was training for the Canadian national team. I was still at UConn. I wanted to put on, I wanted to get up to like 240 if I could. And, um, and I was about 220, 225. And, and I remember I got called up to, he called me up and he said, you know, I just want you to know, I'm, I'm naming you captain next year. And I said, that's the last thing I'm doing as a UConn coach. And, and I said, oh, what? <laughs> I was like, what? I think I was a little bit too naive of the cutthroat business of college basketball coming from where I came from, you know? Coach Perna was a UConn lifer and was fondly remembered by his former players and fellow coaches at the time. Says senior Tim Coles, quote, I didn't expect it. I really love Coach. One of the knocks against him was that his players didn't improve over four years. I'm living proof that with hard work and good coaching, you can improve, end quote. St. John's coach Lou Carnesecca, quote, It's a sad day for the Big East. Don was not only an excellent coach, but a pro in every sense of the word. As said before, not all the best coaches have the best records. He's a class guy. They'll have a tough time replacing him. Now I can call him and ask him where he got all those defenses from, end quote. Here's Jerry Besselink again. You know, I you know, can't go spend a little bit of time talking about UConn without talking about Coach Burrino. He was, he was just wonderful. I mean, just a great, great class act. And, you know, I was really sad that what happened. But Coach Burrino, obviously, I'm not going to go there unless I thought a lot of him. Shortly before Don Perno resigned in April of 1986, UConn President John Castine III called for a 19-member committee to investigate the entire athletic program at UConn. The committee was charged with finding ways a school can improve academic performance among athletes, 
increasing the public perception of the university's academic and research programs via athletics, and improving fundraising, amongst other issues. The committee studied other schools that were strong in both athletics and academics, such as Stanford, Duke, Notre Dame, and Virginia. Shortly after the announcement of the committee's creation, State Representative John Woodcock of South Windsor had considered filing a resolution in the General Assembly to look into the feasibility of UConn remaining a member of the Big East. The 66-page report was delivered on May 13, 1986, and it didn't paint a pretty picture for the university. Amongst the findings, 1. The major problem of athletic programs at the university seems to be a problem of attitude, a belief that athletics are not an integral part of the university community, that they are a hindrance to be tolerated but not accommodated. 2. The failure of the athletic director to wisely and effectively manage its resources are largely responsible for the malaise over athletics at the university. 3. Many members of the university community, including faculty members with student-athletes in their classes, are not aware of the existence of the Office of Academic Coordinator. 4. The major recommendation of the task force is that the Office of Academic Coordinator for Athletics be abolished as soon as possible, and a new program be created, which will be separate and distinct from other existing programs. An unnamed member of the task force summed up the findings as such, quote, The fundamental point is that nothing is working right. No matter where you look, we do not have a top-quality athletic department. End quote. Whoever UConn hires as their next head coach sure has their work cut out for them. Coming up on the next episode of the Dream Season Podcast, UConn finds this new coach. Who has it turned out? It's not bad. Dream Season Podcast is researched, written, and produced by me, Matt Edwards. Written sources for this episode include the Hartford Current Archives, Dana O'Neill's book, The Big East, Ken Davis's epic University of Connecticut Basketball Vault, and Hoop Tales, UConn Huskies Men's Basketball by Robert Porter and the Mayor, Wayne Norman. If you have any memories to share about anything I just mentioned, want to correct me on something I screwed up, or just have general feedback to give, send me an email at dreamseasonpod at gmail.com or call and leave me a message at 903-884-8990. That's 903-884-8990. You can also connect with the show via Twitter and Instagram at DreamSeasonPod. I really appreciate you listening and for all the support I've received so far. Thank you so much. See you next time.